feather. You liking that? Amen. Amen. I never thought 45 degrees would feel like springtime, but it does, right? Hey, it's great. That's 50 degrees hotter than it's been. So that's a good thing. Well, praise God for that. Just keep your hand raised. Either somebody will find you or listen, we'll consider you've made a decision at some point. So uh, one of the two. Good deal. We're continuing in our in our series on the book of Acts, and uh, we're kind of making the march to the end here, and, and uh, we are kind of turning a corner to the last part uh, of the book of Acts as we look at some of the last uh, journeys of Paul and some of the things that happened to him uh, in his life. Ran across a, I believe, a powerful story this week about a man by the name of Abdel Youssef. Abdel Youssef was a brilliant young man who, before he, became, before he came to Christ, was a dedicated Muslim. And then in the early part of the year 2004, through an email contact with a missionary by the name of Gene Bannister, Abdel Youssef gave his life to Jesus. Amen? And his life wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, slightly changed, it was radically changed. And after his conversion, in the brief time, uh, which you'll understand in just a minute, that Abdel was a Christian, he shared the gospel with and personally baptized over 400 people. As in less than a year's time, okay? Now, as a result of his passionate sharing of the gospel and uh, of his work for Christ, not only did he just share the gospel and, and see about 400 people get saved, but established over, uh, planted 10 churches, 10 congregations in four different Arab countries that were started with a total of over 1,000 new believers that had come to Christ primarily because of the passion and work of Abdel Youssef. Praise God for that. Amen. However, all was not a bed of roses in that time that he knew the Lord. During that time, Abdel was beaten three times by radical Muslims. In fact, the third time that they beat him, they literally gouged out one of his eyes. But Abdel would not stop confessing Jesus as, as Lord and as the Christ and continuing to spread the gospel to other Muslims. In fact, because he would not stop spreading the gospel and because he would not stop even when they beat him, as a result of that, in October of 2004, less than a year after he was saved, while he was still recovering from his third beating and the loss of his eye, a group of radical Muslims who hated him for converting to Christianity and even more so for converting others to Christianity broke into his home and beat him to death. His wife and children had to go into hiding. The question for us today is this, friends. Why would a young man with a family, with wife and children, continually put himself in such danger? Well, friends, I believe the answer to that is that at the center of our calling as Christians, friends, is the call to do what God wants us to do no matter what. Amen? It's a call that I believe many of us as American Christians don't really understand. It's a call to listen for the direction of God in our lives and to follow it. It's a call to live our lives for him. It's a call for Jesus to actually be Lord, boss of our life. Amen? However, you know what? That's not always easy, as Abdel found out. You know, most of us will probably never face the possibility of death for our faith. 
we realize that. We realize, I hope you realize that we live in a country, even though there are a lot of things we all would like to change about this country. Amen? We are still the most, some of those privileged people in the world that we can still come here freely and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we can still talk to others about Jesus. Amen? And we still have that right that we don't take advantage of as often as we should. You know, most of the time, obeying God means getting outside of our comfort zone, right? You know, you've heard that before. Uh, obeying God means getting outside of our comfort zone. Obeying God means doing things that we don't want to do and sometimes not doing things that we do want to do. It often calls us to do things that are not natural for us. Amen? Things that, are, uh, that may be even considered weird by others or even dangerous. And if we're honest... We'd rather just say nice, stay nice and warm and cozy in our own little world and just do what we feel comfortable doing rather than getting radical and really being obedient to Christ. So that's how most Christians live, especially most American Christians. Most American Christians do life their own way instead of God's way. Friends, I believe when we do that, we miss the blessing of God. Amen? We miss the blessing of God. Friends, that is not what we saw, we see today and what we have seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. He didn't do life the easy way, amen? He was willing to put it all out there for Jesus. He was willing to, to risk being, uh, going through persecution. He was be willing to risk his life. We constantly see the Apostle Paul following what God wants him to do when it's not easy, when, it's, when there's danger involved. Friends, when other people advise, advise him to take the easy route, Paul does what he believes God has called him to do. We see that in our text today. Let's look at our text, Acts chapter 21. If you'll remember, Paul and his companions are on a journey. And their journey... Is to Jerusalem. Paul was headed to Jerusalem. Now, there were a lot of people that tried to stop him from going to Jerusalem or tried to warn him, tell him not to go to Jerusalem, but Paul was set on it. Now, why was Paul set on going to Jerusalem? Well, there are three reasons, really. First of all, Paul believed that God had called him to go to Jerusalem, uh, primarily to witness for his faith. And you say, well, pastor, we don't have any direct uh, recording of that call. We don't. But there are two things that I believe give us an indication about that in addition to Paul's uh, undeniable uh, conviction that that's what God wanted him to do. If you want to look back at chapter 20, we looked at this last week, verse 22. Chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Friends, have you ever just known God has called you to do something so much that you just feel bound in the spirit that you've got to do it? That's where, that's where Paul was. He knew that God wanted him to go and be in Jerusalem. There's some other reasons, but also turn over to chapter 23, verse 11. Verse 23, chapter 11, we'll look at this in a few weeks, but God, Paul has another vision of the Lord. And it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem... So you must also bear witness at Rome. So while in our text today, Acts chapter 21, we don't have any direct 
recording in the scripture that God told Paul to go to Jerusalem, Paul's own conviction about that, in addition to these other things, God had, we see good evidence that God had called Paul to go to Jerusalem because he wanted Paul to witness again for the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul believed God wanted him to go there. Why else did, was Paul going to Jerusalem? Well, if you look back at chapter 20, verse 16, Paul wanted to celebrate Pentecost with the believers. It simply says that he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And what happened on Pentecost? It was the day when the Holy Spirit uh, was given to uh, the, the Jews there at Jerusalem, and uh, they began to uh, speak in tongues as an evidence, as a sign of that. And the, the church was born. And so what we see then is that Paul was wanting to go celebrate Pentecost with the believers there. And I believe one of the things that was deeply on his heart was his third reason for going to Jerusalem. He was delivering an offering. He wasn't taking up an offering. That's what most preachers do, right? Take, of course, before he delivered it, he had to take it up. He was delivering an offering, a collection that he had taken up among the Gentile churches for the poor believers in Jerusalem. I want you to turn over to, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I know we're jumping around here a little bit just for a moment. But what we find out is actually the book of Romans was written while Paul was on this third missionary journey, uh, probably from Corinth. And uh, the book of 2 Corinthians also was written while Paul was on this third missionary journey. And what we find out from those two books is we find out that Paul one of the reasons he was wanting to go to Jerusalem was because, if you remember, the, the believers in Jerusalem were very poor. When they had uh, come to know Christ, and if they did come to know Christ, the Jews, uh, the, the, the other Jews who had not, would, would shun them. And that many of them would either lose their jobs or they would not be able to have a job or not be able to sell their things and so forth. And so uh, many of the believers who were in Jerusalem were poor. Uh, many of them had come for that first Pentecost from all, all over. And when they'd gotten saved, they just kind of stayed there. And so for multiple reasons, they were poor. So Paul, if you look at Romans chapter 15, verse 25 says this, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, some of those regions where Paul had planted churches, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister them in material things. In other words, listen, as Gentiles, they had received spiritual blessings of coming to know Christ so they were because of the Jews who had gone out and shared the gospel. So now they were in debt to those who had witnessed to them. Why not take care of those Jews back in Jerusalem who had converted to Christ as well? So Paul and his companions were headed to Jerusalem because he believed that that's what God wanted him to do. He wanted to celebrate Pentecost, and he was taking this offering for the believers there uh, in Jerusalem. So look at chapter 21 as we continue on with Paul on his journey. It says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. Now if you remember from last week, and we look at our, our map here, they were in... Uh, they were in Miletus, which is, wait a minute, let me get my, here we go, right here in Miletus. And so they set sail from Miletus is where they'd met with the Ephesian elders and Paul delivered the address that uh, we talked about last week and they sailed to Kos right here. And it says, we came to Kos the following day to Rhodes, just continued to sail. And the following day, 
from there to Patera. Now, along those things, they probably caught a ride with a merchant ship, a local merchant ship and so forth. But here, as they were going to head all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, they needed to get a ship that was larger and a ship that would, uh, was going there and a ship that they could trust. And so finding a ship, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we sighted Cyprus, remember that's the island here, when we sighted Cyprus, we passed it on our left. We sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre right here. For the ship was to unload her cargo. So they'd caught on, caught on with a cargo ship. Listen, there weren't big uh, uh, cruise ships back in those days, right? They just had to ca- kind of catch whatever ship they could and get aboard and travel that way. So when they landed in Tyre, verse 4 says, they found some disciples. And when they did, it says, we stayed there seven days. So they landed in Tyre. Paul had never been there before. Uh, evidently there was no synagogue because we know that was normally Paul's custom uh, but probably just a small group of believers uh, that they became very close to in a matter of just a few days because look at what it says here Uh, they had not even known these believers before as far as we know but it says as they stayed with them seven days they told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem so these believers were close enough to Jerusalem to know the dynamics of Jerusalem and sense the danger through the spirit that Paul was going to get encounter when he got there. And therefore, they encouraged him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, did Paul listen to their advice? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So Paul didn't listen, did he? Paul was a little bit like a lot of us. He was hard-headed, amen? He was hard-headed, stubborn. Now, you know there's a good side and a bad side to stubborn, right? You know, I was stubborn when I was a kid. You know, you pitch a temper tantrum and just stay in that until you get your way, right? That's the bad part of stubborn. There's a good part of stubborn when you're standing on the truth. And we, God has revealed his word to you, and you will not budge from your convictions. Listen, let's not be over in the bad part of stubborn, amen? But let God use it for good in our lives. But Paul was stubborn. He stuck to his convictions what he believed God had called him to do. Verse 6 says, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and then returned home. And they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. So what are they doing here? They're simply, oh, go back to the map. There we go. They are in Tyre. They're simply going down the coast here to the next city, Ptolemais. And then we're going to see here in a minute, they go down to Caesarea before they head in, inland up to Jerusalem. And so it says we, on the next day, uh, when we finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, stayed with him a day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, if you think about this, there's some uh, very interesting interpersonal dynamics going on here. We are reminded that Philip was one of the seven, one of those original seven deacons. So I would imagine Philip was probably pretty close and there when Stephen was martyred for his faith, right? Stephen being one of the seven, Philip being one of the seven, they were probably pretty close. Let me ask you a question. Who was it that was uh, really inciting the crowd to kill Stephen? Who was standing by consenting to his death? It was Saul, who is now who? 
the Apostle Paul. So here is Paul staying with Philip, who was a good friend of Stephen, whom Paul had had martyred. Friends, tell me that the gospel does not mend relationships. Amen? Listen, it is only in Jesus Christ that we can let go of bitterness and uh, resentment and so forth. And Philip had to do that here. He not only let go of the resentment, but he invited them to stay with him. Look at verse 9. Then something unusual or a little odd happens. It says, This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, this wasn't the first time that Paul had met Agabus. If you'll remember back from Acts chapter 11, Agabus had gone to Antioch, the site of the first Gentile church, and he had uh, revealed to them, had prophesied of a famine that was going to take place. So he was a prophet and had told of a famine then, and so they were able to help the Jewish believers. Here he comes to Caesarea because he has a different message to deliver. Verse 11 says, When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, And said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So what does he do here? He literally takes Paul's belt and he binds his hands and feet as a demonstration to Paul. Paul, this is what they're going to do to you. Paul, they're going to bind you. They're going to persecute you, Paul. And if they are allowed, they will kill you. The Holy Spirit had revealed this to him, and he was warning Paul. What does it say there next? Verse verse 12 says, Now when we heard these things, whose we, Luke is writing here, so Luke and all the other companions with Paul, it says, Both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, you really don't have to do this. Paul, don't go up. Paul, you've heard what is going to happen to you. Remember, Paul had even said in, in his own words over there that the Spirit, back in chapter 20, that the Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul, you know that it's nothing good that awaits you in Jerusalem. You don't have to go there. What does Paul say? Verse 13, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? They cared about Paul. They didn't want to see anything bad happen to Paul, and so they appealed to him. They begged him, and Paul said, listen, you're breaking my heart, but, but I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Paul wasn't letting anything sway him from the calling and what God had told him to do. So, verse 14 when he would not be persuaded, that's that stubbornness, right? It says, we ceased saying, we ceased that and said, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed up and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain man by the name of Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Now, evidently, this was a man who had a home in Jerusalem. He was also either had a home in Caesarea or it was visiting there. And so they went back to stay with him, went with him to Jerusalem and stay with him. Verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So when they got to Jerusalem, they delivered the gift. The brethren received them and Paul was where God had wanted him to be. Friends, I believe what we see in our text today, I believe is that God was testing Paul. God clearly showed Paul, Paul, what I have ahead of you is not going to be easy. 
that you're going to have to suffer. The question was, would he still do what God had called him to do? And the answer is what? Yes. Paul continued to go to Jerusalem. He made it to Jerusalem despite all the warnings and impending danger involved. Paul was obedient to the Lord despite all of the danger involved. Friends, the question for us today is this. How was Paul able to have such conviction? How was Paul able to follow the Lord with such abandon? How was he able to be obedient despite all of the danger involved? How was he able to continue to follow and do what God wanted him to do, even when everybody else was telling him something else to do, even when he knew it was going to be dangerous, even when it wasn't going to be easy? Friends, how can we? How can we follow the Lord and not just get in our own little comfort zone, but be willing to follow Jesus even when it means getting outside of our comfort zone, even when it means things might be dangerous for us, even when, it, when it's doing something that maybe we don't want to do? Friends, I believe we see three things in the life of Paul here today that I believe we can translate and will help us today. So I want to share with you some things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul today about how we can do what God wants us to do, friends, even when it's not easy. First of all, friends, we must choose the right model. We must choose the right model. Who are you looking up to? Who are you modeling your life after? Who are you... Who is your idol? Who was Paul's idol? Look at verse 13. He doesn't say, this is my idol, friends, but look at what he does say. He says, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you can hear it in Paul's voice. You can hear it in the the, the tone there, friends. It's because of what Jesus has done for him in dying on the cross and paying the penalty for his sins. Because of that, Paul was willing to die for Jesus. Amen? Paul's model was Jesus. That's who he looked up to. Friends, do you think Paul might have had the sufferings of the Lord Jesus in mind when others were warning him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to face danger. Do you think Paul might have had the Lord Jesus in mind when the Holy Spirit was testifying through many people of the danger that he would face? Friends, I think that's what Paul continued to think about. Listen, if Jesus could do that for me, how can I not serve him passionately? I believe that's what was in Paul's mind. In fact, many commentators point out the many similarities in between what Jesus went through and what Paul went through in this circumstance is what we're going to see in next week and the coming weeks uh, to come. But friends, I believe Paul was, was able to not worry about his own self, not worry about his own care, not worry about his own comfort, friends, because Jesus was his model and Jesus didn't worry about his own comfort. Amen? The Lord Jesus was willing to step out of heaven He was willing to set aside all the glory of heaven to come, listen, and not even to a palace, amen, to a stable with a dirty old donkey and a probably dirty old horse and a couple of pigs and whoever, who who knows what else was in there, the king of kings and lord of lords was willing to do that for us. Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. 
Friends, Jesus was Paul's example, and he should be ours as well. Amen? The question for you, friends, is who are you modeling your life after? What, what is your ideal? What are you modeling your life after? Are you modeling your life after some superstar athlete? Are you modeling your life after some, some, uh, some successful business person? Are you modeling your life after the American dream or after the perfect American, ideal American family? Are you modeling your life after trying to get a life of comfort? Friends, as believers, we need to be modeling our life after the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And friends, here's what that means. That means that sometimes we must set aside our own comfort in order to do what God wants us to do. Amen. In fact, as I've said many times before, friends, the reality is that most of the time, friends, being obedient to the Lord means stepping outside of our comfort zone. If you never step outside of your comfort zone, you're probably not being obedient to the Lord. You say, but pastor, I, I feel nervous and I feel anxious and I just don't know if I can do that stuff. Friends, you know, when you feel all those things, it's because you're not trusting. You're not trusting. You know, there is trepidation in our heart at the moment of decision. Henry Blackaby, in, uh, in, in his book, Experiencing God, talks about it. He said, there is always a moment of indecision or, or, or a moment where, where we're of unsurety, where, we're gonna, where we have to decide, are we going to trust God or are we not? And so that feeling inside of us, that anxiety, that worry, whatever, we have to simply say, you know what? I'm going to continue to let worry and fear reign in my life, or I'm going to trust God with this, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be like Jesus. Amen? I want to live my life not worrying about all the earthly things, but being willing to do whatever God calls me to do how about you friends not only do we uh must we choose the right model but friends how, the way we do what god wants us to do even when it's not easy friend the second thing we see here is that we must listen to god's voice instead of all the other voices around us we must listen to god's voice instead of all the other voices around us here's the problem all the other voices are a lot a lot louder amen now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, you don't know all the voices I have in my head, right? <laughs> I'm not talking about your craziness now, okay? We're all a little nuts every now and then, talking to ourselves and what have you. But listen, we have all sorts of people trying to influence us, some on purpose, some just in the world and so forth. And there are a lot of voices coming at us from a lot of things we can listen to. But did you know that God's voice is the still, small voice. Most of the time, God's not going to shout at you. He's going to tell you which, ways, which way to go. He's going to tell you what to do. But we have to listen for him. Amen? We have to listen to him. Friends, how did Paul know what God wanted him to do here? We've already talked about this, but we have no direct record of God coming out and saying, Paul, go to Jerusalem. Paul, do this. However, as we saw in chapter 20 and in chapter 23, friends, he said, Paul says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. He knew that that's what God wanted him to do. God confirmed that. He said, as you testified in Jerusalem, you also must testify in Rome. So friends, Paul, God had told Paul to go. It just wasn't as loud as all the other voices. Think about it. 
Chapter 20, Paul says this in verse 20, uh, 23. I already mentioned this, but he says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Uh, he's referring to the fact, even before we get to our text today, that everywhere he went, as he told him he was going to Jerusalem, what did they tell him? Paul, the Spirit tells, telling me there's going to be trouble there for you, Paul. I wouldn't go if I were you. Paul, listen, you don't know what you're going to face there. I wouldn't go if I were you. Paul, I, I wouldn't do that. Even in our text today, verse 4, what does it say? They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, some commentators tend to think, well, so is the Spirit telling Paul not to go there? Well, actually, the construct of the, uh, of the language here doesn't necessarily mean that. It means that the Spirit had revealed to them the danger that Paul was going to face. But the Spirit didn't tell, say Paul wasn't still supposed to go there. That was them urging Paul not to go there. Just down, uh, Agabus. You think about the, the, what Agabus said. Agabus didn't tell Paul not to go there. What did Agabus say? He said, listen, Paul, uh, if, you, if you go there, you're going to be bound. You're going you're to go through persecution. It was his companions. It was his friends who then, in verse 12, pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Friends, because of the news, his companions tried to get him not to go, but Paul had a decision to make, right? Which voices would he listen to? Who would he listen to? Which voice would he let steer him? Who would he obey? Friends, fortunately, Paul obeyed the Lord, and he listened to the Lord. And friends, that's what we need to do, amen? To listen to God above all the other voices that are out there trying to give us advice. Now, there's something interesting I want you to notice here. I want you to notice, were the other voices speaking to Paul, were they evil voices? They weren't evil voices at all, were they? Were they telling Paul, uh, were they bad people? They weren't bad people. They were his companions. They were his fellow workers in Christ. They weren't bad people. They weren't evil voices. In fact, those voices, what they were telling him, what they were basing there, what they were telling him on advice uh, from what the Spirit had revealed to them. Here's the deal for difference, though. I believe they took the information and they came to the wrong conclusion. Paul in his spirit said, I know I'm going to have to suffer. I know there's going to be a persecution. In fact, he says it there. I'm ready to be bound, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem. Friends, listen, when, when there are other voices, so many voices speaking to us in the world today, on go this way, go that way. This is who you should follow. This is what you should do. Friends, we must be very careful the voices we listen to. Amen? We must be very careful to the people we listen to. Now, some of you are thinking, but pastor, I thought we were supposed to seek counsel. I thought we were supposed to seek godly advice. I thought we were supposed to listen to other people. Well, it's not a bad thing to listen to godly counsel. Amen. It is wise to seek godly counsel, but friends, we need to be careful. I know too many people who say, God told me, or, you know, I talked to these people and this is what I believe God's leading me to do because they've talked to godly counsel, friends. Let me give you some advice on godly counsel. Let me give you five things real quick, five quick guidelines for seeking counsel. Because we've got to be careful which voices we listen to. I want you to write these down. They're not in your outline, so just take some white space there and write these things down. First of all, friends, we must be careful that we listen to God first before we listen to godly counsel. Amen? 
You know, listen, we are so quick to run to our friends, to our, even our mentors and so forth, and we are so quick to run to them first before we seek what God wants us to do. I think we all can say we're guilty of that, amen? How about for let's first see what God says? And then use godly counselors to seek, to confirm, or to deny, to see if what we feel God is leading us is is godly. But seek God first, not godly counselors first. Second, friends, even godly counselors are sometimes wrong. (laughs) Amen? Listen, the counselors that we seek are just human. Uh, They're human too. We need to take what godly counselors tell us and filter it through Scripture. And see, is this what really what God is saying to me or is this uh, somebody else? Uh, the third thing is this, friends. If the counselors you seek advice from tell you what to do instead of just give you advice on what to do, beware. Let me explain what I mean here. Whoever, what godly counselors you're going to, they ought to have a humble spirit about them. Uh, you need to be careful if somebody says to you, thus saith the Lord. You need to be careful when you hear from God. Uh, one, of, one of the best pieces of advice I believe I ever got as a young pastor and, and when I was in seminary uh, is one of our professors and, and uh, president of the seminary actually said this. He said, don't ever go around saying, God told me this. God, 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 God uh, wants me to do, say, as best as I can discern, this is what God is saying to me. Because the reality is, friends, we can mishear God's voice. We can give other people advice uh, when it's, uh, it may be godly advice for a different situation, but it may not be advice for their situation. So we need to be careful about that. So even when we're giving advice, friends, and I try to always do this and say, listen, here's what God's saying to me about this, but you know what? I could be wrong. You need to seek God in the situation. You need to seek the Lord and see what God is telling you. Amen? So if counselors tell you what to do, and rather than just uh, try to be helpful and suggest what to do, beware. Number four, the fourth guideline for seeking godly counsel, friends. And listen, I, I want to hear a big amen when I, get to, when I say this, all right? If they tell you what you want to hear, beware. Amen? Because isn't that usually why we seek counsel? We seek counsel because we just want somebody to confirm what we want to do. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes those counselors aren't going to confirm that what you think is right. They will. But if, the pers- if a person you consider a counselor to you always, always, always just says, oh, yeah, I think you're right. Oh, yeah, you got it on this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, occasionally they need to disagree with you uh, just uh, so that you know, you know what, uh, they're going to tell me the hard things. They're going to give me advice even when, it, even when it's not what I want to hear. Those are the people you need to continue to go to as your godly counselors, not those who just continue to tell you what you want to hear. Amen? And the fifth piece of advice uh, I want to give you for seeking counsel is this. Friends, if they always lead you to the easy way out, then it's probably not godly counsel. Listen, what one of the things I think we learn here from the Apostle Paul is this. God's way is generally not the easy way. Amen? It's generally not the easy way. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes things don't just fall into place. And, and many times it does. And praise God for that. 
uh, I, I love to look back. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I love to look back and see the hand of God on my life and see how God has directed me and stuff. In the moment, it's hard. It's difficult, friends. But as we seek uh, the mind of God, as we seek counsel, friends, if the person you're seeking counsel from always seeks to lead you to the easy way out, then it's probably not godly counsel. Friends, we need to listen for what God wants us to do. Amen? And we need to listen to that, and we need to obey. We need to stay close to what God wants us to do. We need to be in the Word. I don't know if any of you remember this story from a few years back. 81-year-old man, Robert, and i got to try to get this name, last name right. This is one of those last names that it has almost every letter in the alphabet in it. Okay, uh, His name is... Kuferschmid, I think, with a couple of other consonants thrown in there that I hope are silent, okay? But Robert Kuferschmid, in 1998, was 81 years old and had no flying experience. However, due to a tragic and sudden emergency, he was forced immediately into learning how to fly an airplane. Let me tell you the situation. On June 17, 1998, Some of you may have read or heard about this story. He and his 52-year-old pilot friend, Wesley Sickle, were flying an airplane from Muncie, Indiana, back to Indianapolis. During the flight, his friend, who was the pilot, suddenly released his grip on the controls, flailed his arms in the air, and fell over, yes, dead. Now, I don't know about you, but right then is about the time I began to panic. Amen? (laughs) Because it was just him and his friend on board. The Cessna 172 single-engine plane suddenly began to nosedive until Robert could get in the the, uh, pilot seat and grab the controls and able to pull the yoke up. And then he did the only thing that he could think of and uh, that would probably save his life. He got on the radio and pleaded for help. (laughs) Nearby was a man by the name of Mike Bowen, a pilot of 15 years who responded to the call. He happened to be flying his Cherokee Piper airplane only 20 miles away doing some survey work. Uh, Robert, the inexperienced pilot, didn't even know where he was until Mike Bowen got on the radio with him and helped him figure it out. And then they figured out that the closest place for him to land was a small airport, a public airfield with just two landing strips called Mount Comfort Airport. So, yeah, not a lot lot of comfort in that, amen? How ironic. So Mike Bowen began to give Robert Kuferschmid a steady stream of instructions telling him what to do, how to climb, how to steer, and most importantly, but scariest of all, how to land. He told him what gauges to look at, what to pull, what to push, what to turn, all the things. Meanwhile, at the small airport, emergency vehicles were called out to get ready for what seemed like a sure disaster. But as the Cessna 172 plane came in for the landing, witnesses said they came in, the nose first, the nose tapped a couple of times and bounced a few times for the tail eventually hit the ground and the Cessna ended up in a patch of soggy grass next to the runway. And amazingly, Robert Kuferschmid was not injured and landed safely. How? How was he able? He'd never flown a plane before, had very little knowledge, uh, if any, of how to fly a plane. How was he able to fly and land a plane when he never had done it before? Friends, it was because he was smart enough to listen to somebody who had. 
It was because he listened intently to the voice that was guiding him. And he followed his instructions as if his life depended on it. Go figure, right? Because it did. Friends, I want you to imagine what would take place in the lives of believers if we listened to and obeyed the voice of God with the same serious that that man obeyed the other pilot's instructions. Can you imagine if we obeyed God like that? Man, what mighty things might God do through us? How might God use us for his kingdom and for his glory? How might we might experience the blessings of God in our life through God transforming us into who he wants us to be? Amen? Friends, in order to listen to God like that, we need to be in the word regularly. Amen? Are you? Are you in the word on a regular basis, listening, seeking the will of God for your life? Friends, are you attentive to, and, and to the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit that is, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and uses the word of God in your life, that you say yes to God and you are attentive to those things so that, you know, when you get to those, you are going to obey. You don't have to wonder, God, what am I, what do you want me to do in this situation? You and God are just like this. Friends, are you spending time with him? Time alone with the Lord, friends, where you can hear that still, small voice. You can pick it out of all of the other voices around us. Amen? There's a lot of people, a lot of influences trying to tell us which way to go. Let's listen to the Lord. Amen? Let's listen to Him. Friends, We're going to do what God wants us to do, even when it's not easy. Jesus must be our model. We must listen to God's voice over all the other voices. The third thing we see through in Paul's life this morning, friends, is we must value obedience over all else. We must value obedience over all else. Listen, we've already talked about this numerous times this morning, friends, but Paul was willing not only to suffer, but to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You know why Paul never wavered? You know why Paul was so strong in his convictions? Do you know why even those emotional pleas didn't stop Paul? Listen, Paul said, why are you breaking my heart? That didn't even deter Paul from what God had told him to do. Why, why was Paul able to be obedient like that? Friends, because Paul had already predetermined that he was going to obey. It wasn't, Paul didn't get in the situation and say, well, am I going to do what God wants me to do or I'm not? Friends, I believe from the time God called Paul and Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, Paul decided, you know what? I'm following him. I'm following him. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm going to do everything that God tells me to do. Friends, true obedience is predetermined true obedience is predetermined you know there's something that um, we've talked just a glimpse about in our parent parenting class that we just started but if you've ever taken a parenting class before there's a term that's used uh, when talking about uh, getting your children to obey and so forth and it's called first time obedience you know what that means it's not rocket science it simply means that as a parent when I Ask, or I tell my kids to do something, they do it which time? The third time? The fourth time? 
the first time. Because if you think about it, I think that also ought to hold true for us in God. Amen? You know, if we don't obey on the first time, I want to ask you a question. Is that really obedience at all? Think about it. If, if we don't obey when, when God tells us something, then what are we doing? We're considering it, aren't we? We're considering, do I want to do this or do I not? And so then no longer is it obedience or just responding in obedience to God, but it has now become a decision of whether I feel it worthy to obey God or if this is not something that I don't want to do. How many of you use a GPS of some sort? Okay. Anybody use a GPS? Even if it's on your phone, okay? Anybody use a GPS? All right. How many of you just know everywhere you want to go? Is that what the rest of you, you know? Okay. Say, Pastor, I never leave. I go to home and work, home and work. I never have to go anywhere else. Well, I would imagine most of you have used a GPS at some point. Um, How many of you trust your GPS implicitly? Okay. The two people that I figured, my wife and Rhonda, because they're both directionally challenged. My wife bless her heart i love her to death but she will follow that gps even if she can see the building she's going to she will follow that building or that gps around the block to get there are you like that as well Rhonda? for the rest of us what do you do how many of you when you when you when you type in for the gps you press overview because you want to see which way the gps is going to take you before you hit start how many do that Isn't that what we do to God? Isn't that exactly what we do to God? You know, God says, this is the way. Follow it. We say, well, God, listen, I want to see the whole road map first. God God says, listen, this is where I'm taking you. Well, God, can you kind of tell me how? Because if I don't really like those directions, I'm going to, you know, if you're like me, I, and I admit I'm one of those people, okay, on the GPS, and I'll look at it and I'll say, well, you know what, uh, this is not the best way to go, so I'm going to go start this other way, and then the GPS will figure that out along the lines, right? And then what happens? She starts to say, recalculating, <laughs> recalculating, recalculating. How many of you get so frustrated, finally you just turn it off? I've done that as well, or I turn the, turn the volume down, right? Just ignore it. We do that to God too, don't we? We just turn him off. Listen, God, I got this for a while. Then later on, we get lost, right? Then later on, you turn that GPS back on, and the first thing she says is what? You idiot! Why didn't you listen to what I said? If you listen to what I said, you wouldn't be lost now, right? Is that what the GPS says? Not at all, is it? What does she say? Recalculating, recalculating, proceed to the route. Might even say, make a U-turn the next chance that you can. Listen, friends, a GPS is very forgiving. She doesn't scold you. She doesn't say, listen, you should listen to me. I'm not going to give you any instructions now. (laughs) Just like God, when we decide we're going to start listening, when we submit 
to him. He's there to give us direction. Where are you in your life? Friends, I believe Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love him? Have you, have you experienced his love in your life? Have you come to understand the great love that God has had for you that he poured out on the cross? Friends, he loved you so much that he took your sin upon himself on the cross and placed it on his son. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins and to give you new life. Friends, listen, if Jesus died for you, don't, think, don't you think you can trust him with your life? Don't you think you can trust what he says to us in his word if he's willing to die for us? Amen? Yet we still want to do our own thing. We still want to go our own way. See, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, to a man, but its end is the way of death. Friends, God knows the way. It may not be the way we choose. We may think we have a better route. But here's the deal. Just like your GPS and, and some of the more modern GPSs, you know, I, I really like the ones that can show you where there's traffic problems. I like that. Because you know what? That's one thing that I don't know about. I can't see. You know what? God knows where there's going to be traffic problems in your life. And you know what? That route may be the shortest route, except that they've got the road blocked off. And so God's going to take you a different direction. Would you trust him? Would you trust him that he knows what's best for you? That he has your best interest at heart? Friends, listen, he died for you. I think you can trust him. Amen? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Simply ask you right now. If you're here this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, and you're here this morning and, and, and you're saying, Lord, Lord, I'm convinced.